Hello, I'm John Cameron, and welcome to Musicology, another B-side episode and the last episode for 2019. It's uh, it's been quite an ending to to the season. Um, of course, back in I think it was September, we had the Grace Jones episode, and that was uh, <laughs> that was definitely one of the most challenging ones I've ever had to do. Above all else, it was just a lack of material. So for, for those of you who would like to know a bit more about the process of making these episodes, usually what will happen is I will start writing, but I will also be sourcing material, because of course the uh, throughout the episodes you'll hear the artists talk about what happened as they were recording. With Grace Jones, I listened to about... 11 or 12 hours worth of interviews, and out of that was able to get about 15 minutes worth of usable material. And when I say usable material, I'm not going to use all of it, right? It's just, like, that's literally everything that I could possibly put into the into the documentary. Um, like I said, won't use all of it. So then I had to think of something else. And what I was uncovering as I was learning more and more about the the story of the the island sessions was how important the band was. And I always knew that Sly and Robbie were, you know, the the constructors of of the of those albums, along with Chris Blackwell and Alex Sadkin. But when you start to look into the musicians that were around at that time it certainly added to the story and took it to uh, a more of a more of a collective place than i had anticipated which is why you hear from musicians like wally Bataru in the in it it's not just me trying to pad out the material so i don't have to narrate everything it's that there's a lot of valuable information out there on those sessions but that ultimately meant that in addition to listening to 12 hours of Grace Jones interviews with no real reasonable outcome, it meant that I also listened to about 20 hours of interviews with Sly and Robbie, Wally Bataru, uh, Alex Sadkin, uh, Chris Blackwell, Mikey Chung, and it, it, it's, it's very difficult listening to Sly and Robbie because they have such uh, thick Jamaican accents. And they also throw in bits of Patwa in there, so I, I, I think I understand Patwa a lot better than I did before I made the episode. But ultimately, what you heard is is what was made. I did at one point, uh, if I, this is going back a long time ago now, but I think I only focused on one song from Living My Life. Um, oh no, I think I did Living My Life and my Jamaican guy, that's it. I was going to do Nipple to the Bottle, and I think very early on, Cry Now, Laugh Later, but again, it just came back to the complete lack of, of material, not only from Grace Jones and the producers and all that, but also, I love Nipple to the Bottle, Cry Now, Laugh Later, um, The Apple Stretching, all of those songs, but Honestly, what am I going to say about them, is what I had to ask. So that was kind of it. The only real outtake that exists, and it, it wasn't even mixed, it was just a... Um, I, I kept recording up to Slave to the Rhythm, 
because that was a project that was initially intended for uh, an island life compilation, which, which did happen, of course. So I recorded up to Slave to the Rhythm, which I think you can read the transcript for that bit that didn't make it into the episode on the jcsmusicology.fireside.fm website. I, I just felt like covering those first three albums was enough and I didn't need to, um, you know, transitioning into another era was, was going to make it a bit disjointed. So yeah, the Grace Jones episode was, um, I, I love how it turned out. I think it's, a, it's, it's just a, a standard for what I want each episode to be. With that said, we begin to get into the exceptional now, <laughs> as in exceptional case, because then I had the Janet Jackson Rhythm Nation episode. I don't even know where to begin with this, because I suppose one of the biggest challenges was that I remixed two-thirds of the album. That was the most time-consuming. Like, most episodes of Musicology will take somewhere between 40 to 60, maybe 70 hours to write, narrate, edit, master, produce, and then it's out there. But this one had to take at least 120 hours. It was a, it was so much work, um, but a lot of fun remixing the Rhythm Nation album. And one of the first mixes that I did was Miss You March. What I would do is I would make an initial mix just based on memory of how I remember the song, um, if I play it back in my mind, what am I hearing? And then I would compare that mix to the actual mix, and I'd be able to pick out things that I, I missed out on, and so then I added them back into the mix. So really, we're just changing levels of instruments. And then I had to consider the script, in that if I wanted you to hear a certain instrument or certain vocal um, highlighted, then I had to change that in the mix as well. Miss You Much is probably the one that deviates least, but there are some little vocal gems in there that, uh, that, that are quite nice, and so I'll play my complete mix of Miss You Much. Um, it won't be exactly like it is in the documentary, it'll just be the whole song, but my interpretation of it. I gotta see this.
So like I said, I think that was one of the first mixes that I felt I, I got right. I knew the direction that I was going in because usually I don't, I mean, I can mix music relatively well, uh, but in the past, in other episodes when I've utilized multi-tracks to, or, you know, done my deconstructions, what have you, I don't usually go to the extent of applying reverb and EQ and all of that. Like, if you listen to Janet Jam and Lewis, all of the multi-track breakdowns on that, in that documentary, they're completely dry. There's nothing, except for, I think, a Pleasure Principle, but otherwise they're completely dry. They don't have even half the effort that these ones took. So it was fun, though. But there were some challenges. Uh, for example, with the knowledge, the version of the multi-track that I had didn't feature the bass line on the released version. In fact, it features a, an early synth bass, and on that same stem, there are like these James Brown samples, which turned out to be a bit of a nightmare to begin with. But eventually, I kind of realized that I wasn't going to be able to make the mix like it is on the album. And I almost didn't want to either, because there are vocal samples triggered by Jimmy, not the James Brown ones, but there are vocal samples throughout that I really wanted to highlight. Like the Q sound mix that was done, I think, in 94 or 95, it didn't really do the song justice, because as far as I'm concerned, it's a sonic masterpiece, and you're absolutely... Everything is there to make a... a, a, a completely ridiculous presentation, which is what I tried to do with this mix, in that I, I pan things quite dramatically, um, and eventually I I worked my way around not really having a bass line. Um, I still faced challenges towards the end of the track because the instrumentals seemed to get quite just naturally quieter while the vocals got really loud, and I think the final mix suff still suffers from that a little bit, but it is what it is, and I, I, I actually really like this mix, and I, ho I hope you do as well.
So having multi-tracks is in everything, um, my favourite part of the documentary is the Black Cat section, because all I'm doing with that is playing the different versions and the guitar hero or rock band stems or whatever they are, which is material that everyone has. Um, just going through those different versions of, of the song, it, it really is incredible and I wish she did a bit more like it. When I met Jellybean Johnson a couple of years ago, I said to him, man, you know, your song Black Cat is, I consider it one of the greatest of all time. Like, I love Black Cat. It's so amazing. And my, my actual, like, if I can pinpoint a favourite point in the documentary, it's when there's music and then it goes to just the acapella and then it's right back into that hard rock, funky bass... Um, airy synth production that that makes the original so great. Black cat, 
so there's a lot of people to thank for the Janet Jackson episode. Um, you know, I'm very lucky that uh, people support my work, and particularly the MJ cast, uh, the Janet Jackson podcast, induct Janet into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, th- there's so many to mention, and I'm, I'm sorry if I haven't mentioned you. The, with this episode, it, it's just... And, and with all of them, it's just a complete reaffirmation that I, I have some really wonderful listeners who enjoy the work enough that they'll go around and share it with other people. And that really does mean the world to me. And particularly with this episode, the Janet Jackson one, where I wanted to get it as perfect as I possibly could to, to, to have it be one of my highest rated or most listened to is is really very much appreciated and I can only promote it so much. So I credit other people, whether you've got a, a, an account with, you know, five followers or an account with 50,000 followers. Thank you very much for, for sharing my work and, and enjoying it. And I hope I can make more stuff that you like in the future. So then the last episode, which is Joni Mitchell, I think I've been working on that one since early this year, just kind of gathering material. One thing that was very uh, auspicious to, to making it was she th- there exists some material of her talking about pretty much every song. I mean, it's only six songs, but... That, that's still quite rare, and not just talking about the songs, but talking about them at length, it, it, there was so much material I, I had to cut out uh, just of her talking. Um, but this episode was also special for me because the Mingus album never really spoke to me that much, but now having learned all of the stories behind it, th- this was kind of me searching for what I like, what I do like about the album, which I suppose I couldn't quite put my finger on before. And going into the third season next year, there'll be a couple of more episodes like that where it's very much an opportunity of discovery for me as well as those listening. I decided to make the Mingus episode when a, a cassette rip of some early Mingus sessions leaked on the internet recently. They'd actually leaked back in 19... Uh, like the, the early 90s, I guess, but they remained dormant and almost no one knew about them until just recently. And that was kind of a, a, a push to, to make this episode, even though ultimately I didn't really use that much material from from those early sessions. I just kind of spoke about them and I think I used more live versions than anything else. But then listening to the album and those early versions, I was able to extrapolate a lot of interesting information. There was one outtake from this episode, and the reason it was taken out is just I I feel it didn't progress the story all that much. It was just more so a showcase of, of what I consider to be a real gem, which came from those early sessions of Mingus. So here it is. It was a great opportunity to study with a great teacher. I felt that it was meant to be in that I've been sticking my big toe into the lake of jazz, metaphorically, and Charles pushed me right in. For reasons unknown, an early configuration of the Mingus album would open with a re-recording of Edith and the Kingpin, previously featured on Joni's The Hissing of Summer Lawns album four years earlier. Arguably, that album was the first display of jazz tendencies in the Joni Mitchell catalogue. 
of this production, it's an excellent example of how the rest of the album would be produced. Perhaps this was just slotted into the early configuration as a placeholder, but it's still a remarkable performance. It's not superior or inferior to the original, it's just a different experience and an exciting one for any fan to discover. of these more experimental sessions would begin to circulate almost 20 years later, sourced from a degraded cassette tape, but the internet would bring them back to light in more recent times. There is a lot of material relating to these sessions that have never surfaced, despite a significant amount of hype spoken over the years. Unexpected gem like this is just a brief insight into some of the unreleased magic, just as spectacular as what was heard on the final product. We did some pretty strange stuff, you know, even, and it was my call that we do it that way. It's flawed, but it, it has its moments that are really quite exciting, you know. Okay, uh, I, th I think that's a pretty decent breakdown of, of the last three episodes. Uh, I mean, there's always more to talk about, so if there is anything you ever want to know about uh, an episode or the show in general, um, feel free to get in contact with me. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm, I don't really check my Instagram messages that much, so maybe just Twitter, Facebook, jcsmusicology.fireside.fm, uh, there's a, a, a section where you can send me a message on there. I would also point out I've started uploading clips of the episodes onto YouTube. Not not the full things, but just what I would consider highlights. And if you're not subscribed on uh, iTunes or 
follow me on Twitter or Facebook, I usually do, for the last couple of episodes, I have been putting up a highlight clip when the episode has gone live. So may, maybe it's just another way for you to be notified if, if, if you wish. So that's kind of it for, for season two. There, there will be season three. There will be episodes in 2020. I, I hope there's more episodes in 2020 than there were this year. I'm working on about five of them at the moment, about to record what will be the first one. Um, I would also point out that I am going to be doing some other stuff next year, and I will be posting about it on social media and, and all that kind of stuff. It might not be uh, something that you're interested in, and that's perfectly fine. I, I don't expect people to stick around if, if they're uh, that adverse to me doing other things. Um, I, I will continue to do musicology for at least over the next year. The year after, I'm not too sure about, to be perfectly honest, but we'll assess that when, when the time comes. So yeah, keep an eye out. Thank you for supporting. If you haven't rated the show or left a review on iTunes, that certainly helps. Share with your friends. Like I said, I don't care if you have five followers or 50,000 followers. It's all appreciated the same. And have a safe 2020. Never thought I'd fall in love again Again with my mom